you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Well, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians 3. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 10 this morning. Once again, it's 1 Thessalonians in chapter 3. And we're reading verses 1 to 10 this morning. If you're just joining us on live stream this morning, give a shout out on that chat. I'll follow up with you later, but come and say hello. If uh, I think my wife usually is online as well, and uh, she'll probably respond to you as well. You ready to read? So I want you to redeem those smart devices. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, we live in a new day, a new age. My phone here, I've got all my notes on my phone because my iPad was in charge. It's dead again today. But uh, I've got hundreds of Bibles on my phone and commentaries. It's amazing. Just one simple device has it all. It can, use, it can be used for glory. It can be used for dishonor. And I pray that you'll begin to redeem that special smart device for the kingdom. Amen. <laughs> Okay, read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Follow with me in your Bibles. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, Timothy, to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. Man, how's your faith this morning? I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now, Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and sufferings, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Now I want you to sit up and take note of verse 10. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. This morning, I want to talk about filling the gap. Filling the gap. So if you understand this passage here, what was happening was that Paul the Apostle had planted this church in the city of Thessalonica. And he had been watching them from afar. He, he, Paul, as you know, would write letters. He's traveling all around the world, so he can't be in one place at one time for any too, length, too long of a time. So he's moving about, and while he was there, he planted this church. He was teaching them the foundations of the gospel. 
but there was something that was missing, he realized, because what was happening was that persecution was arising in that particular part of the world. In fact, all the parts of the world had a quick look at the archaeological study Bible notes. And they tell us that persecution was a fact of life for the early Christians. I want to put it to you today that persecution is quickly becoming the norm today in our Western world. If you think that you are living in the same day, some of you are as old as me or younger or older, and you think to yourself, oh no, it's, everything is still the same as it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. 30 years ago was 1970, wasn't it? No, 30 years ago was the 1990s. Oh my goodness, right? Time is marching on and the generation and the culture has radically changed. In a time when people used to be open, when you said you were Christians, like, oh, safe. This person is going to be honest. This person is, is going to be a good worker. This person is going to be someone I can rely on. That's what it used to be when you said you were a Christian. Today we have a whole mass of Christians that we find it so difficult to try and describe and understand. There are people from all walks of life, and I praise God that the gospel is getting out there, and it's reaching the lives of people, it is rescuing them, and it's bringing them into the kingdom, but oftentimes it stops at the point where they give their lives to Jesus, and it goes no further. I put it to you that today there are gaps in your faith, there are gaps in our faith. Why do I say that? Let me tell you a little bit more about their persecution first before I get into that. According to this archaeological study Bible notes, they said that persecution was just so normal back then. Martyrdom began with Stephen, right? He was, an, he was a deacon, and he was stoned to death. And the person responsible, Saul. Saul, who later you find out the guy that wrote this, Paul, the apostle Paul. He was a killer, he was a killer of Christians. He was so zealous for the Hebrew faith, the Jewish faith. He was trying to kill every Christian. James, the brother of John, soon after that. So Stephen in Acts chapter 7. James, the brother of John, Acts 12, 2. And it just went on and on. These things are going on. And the Christians are facing persecution from all sides. Among the Jews, see, remember the first Christians were all Jewish. There were no Gentiles at first. Gentiles is a word for a non-Jew. That's us, right? But for the Jewish people, they were the ones who first became Christians. And even among their own people, they were being persecuted because the Christians believed that Yeshua was the, was the Messiah. He had come. But the rest of the Jewish people to this day don't believe that. In fact, very interestingly, the, the rabbis tell their people, do not read Isaiah 53. Hang on. The Christians have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. But you're telling us, Rabbi, we cannot read a book in the Old Testament. Your book, your Bible, they're not allowed to read it because it tells you about the suffering Messiah. It would tell every Jew, if they looked at it and read it, they would realize straight away this was actually Yeshua, the Messiah. He has already come. So the, this, the Messiah, the people, the Jewish people are waiting for today is the same Messiah you and I are waiting for. It's the second coming for us. It's the first coming for them. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming soon. And so among the Jewish people, they were persecuting the Jewish Christians. But now among the, among the Gentiles, there's also persecution going on as the gospel spread out and Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. All of a sudden, the pagan, the pagan uh, practitioners are now being challenged because the people who are turning by droves to Jesus, 
They're losing the money now because they're making the money out of making idols, out of gold, wood, hay, stubble. They'll use anything to make gods. And they're making money out of this and they're losing money because these Christians are worshiping one God. You see, back then they could worship multiples of gods. So you're, if you're really devout as a religious practitioner back then, as a pagan practitioner, you're buying all kinds of idols, wood, stone, gold, silver, whatever you can afford. You're putting it all around your house just to cover every base. But all of a sudden these Christians are coming up saying, no, there's only one God. And he's told us how we can worship him, how we can please him. And so they were furious and persecution was arising. And it culminated ultimately with the Roman emperors as they saw these Christians. Because once again, there's a problem here because they're saying Jesus is Lord. Now to you and I, we're still wrestling with that, by the way, in the church. We know Jesus as Savior but we struggle to accept Jesus as Lord. If he has lordship, he has dominion over your life. He now becomes your master and Lord, which means you have to do what he says. But let me ask you today, as you look among all your friends, among every church in the world today, how many of them actually have Jesus as Lord where they do what Jesus tells them to do? I think we got a problem here because I think that word Christian is too lax. It's too easy to pass yourself off as a Christian because you can live in sexual immorality, living, you know, as a married couple before marriage and claim you're a Christian. That's called fornication. You could be married and you're sleeping around with other, pe other people. That's called adultery. It's all sexual immorality. We're not even getting to the LGBTQ stuff yet. Let's just focus on this stuff. Do we hate people? No, we love everyone. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. Every single one of us. I was sharing with, thank you for that one person that loves Jesus. Thank you so much. We're, uh, I, I see you're coming alive now. There we go. I'll get some input here. You can, you can hassle me. It's okay. I don't mind. Uh, one of my students in my Cert 3 ministry class, he was challenging me with this thought. He says, you know, you, know, you cannot allow LGBTQ people into the church. I said, why not? Well, 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 you know, because they, they're living compromised lifestyles. I said, do you think Jesus would keep LGD, LGBTQ people from coming and following him? He had to really think long and hard about it. Just think about it for a moment. What was Jesus known as? Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. doesn't mean he sinned. It was that he was a friend of sinners and he was turning their lives around. Okay, we've got three people now. We're starting to wake up. Praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> but this persecution that broke out became increasingly worse until a wicked emperor called Nero, a Roman emperor, came into power. And Nero was a madman. He was absolutely mad, just killing people without any fear of retribution, just killing people. Eventually, he was so crazy, he actually set Rome on fire. And, and the people furious wanted to blame someone. So he says, oh, the Christians did it. And all of a sudden, the persecution took on a whole new level under Nero. He is arresting them. He would put animal skins on them, and the dogs would rip the Christians apart in the arenas. He would capture the Christians. Yes, he would beat them, do all kinds of things. He would crucify them. He didn't end there. Like Jesus just had the crucifixion. What he was doing was after he crucified them, he hung them up, set them on fire as street lamps. Such was the persecution of the early church that Paul, and Paul was watching them. And they're starting to fall from their faith because the persecution was great in Thessalonica. 
right? It's a Greek word. Paul felt this acute need, I have to visit this church. I need to go back to Thessalonica because there is a gap and people are falling in between the gap. Isn't it interesting how persecution has a way of discouraging faith? The COVID pandemic revealed an alarming trend among churches around the world. Many members of the church who formerly attended regularly are now falling off. In fact, one report says 36% of the church has returned. Only 36%. There's a promising trend that is increasing, by the way. So we're doing pretty good, praise the Lord. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're doing pretty good. Turn to the other neighbor and say, neighbor, good for you. <laughs> We are the church, and we're meeting, and we're growing, praise the Lord. But can I give you some statistics? Okay, this is across the world. I'm using American statistics, but you can find that among, with American statistics, they t we tend to follow them quite a bit. So this is not exactly us, but there's some truth here. So listen to these statistics. In a Barna group study about how Americans relate to Christianity, the number of non-practicing Christians, listen to that word, non-practicing Christians, Christians is rising while the number of practicing Christians is declining. What is a practicing Christian? A practicing Christian attends church regularly, is reading the Bible, is praying regularly. They're connected to the church. That is a practicing Christian. They don't just do it by faith. But listen to this. Non-practicing Christians have grown from 35% to 43% from 2000 to 2020. If you're talking about hundreds of millions of people, that is an alarming number. Think about half of hundreds of millions of people. During the same time, practicing Christians declined from 45% in 2000 to 25% in 2020. Oh my goodness. Non-Christians or agnostics rose Agnostics basically acknowledge there is a, a divine creator, but that's it. They don't have any faith. They rose from 20% to 32%. Think about that for a moment. Hundreds of thousands of people, 32%. While we're at it, because the Bible says, right, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Look at this. Low tithing also is one of the key components. One study found only 5% of churchgoers, 5% of people who regularly attend church, gave 10% of their annual income to church or any other charity. So the Bible commands us to pay the tithe in both the Old and the New Testament. Some Christians tell me, Pastor, I'm not under law. I'm under the New Testament. Grace, I don't have to give. Do you follow what Jesus says? Yes. Well, he actually said to do that. What? And I show them the scripture. Jesus did it. He paid the tithe. This is what we do. But only 5% of churchgoers in America pay the actual tithe, 10%. I remember once in a connect group, we were there with young adults. We had about 21 people in our group and growing. Babies shoved in every room in our house. We didn't count them. Just the adults, 21, all gathered together. I remember asking that question. We were really honest and raw. I said, how many of you pay the tithe? Let's look around the room. You pay the tithe? Hand went up. I'll pay the tithe. One person says, oh, I sort of pay the tithe. I said, oh, what does that mean? I pay some of it. I said, oh, so you're not paying the tithe. No, no, I, I give some. Yes, yeah, so you're not paying the tithe. No, no, I, I give some. We're going back and forth. No, the tithe means 10%. Either you paid your 10% of your income or you didn't. Sorry to hang on this one. Maybe the Lord wants me to do this. No, we didn't. We've got some pretty good tithe this year, by the way. So just so you know here. But he didn't quite understand. Either you give your 10%, you pay, you don't give a tithe. You pay the 
Now you can say I paid my tithe or you don't. For my wife and I, we can't afford not to. But let me keep going. I don't want to get stuck there. But it's not just in the church. Have a listen to this. 30% of people in America are not giving to anything at all. No charity, nothing. 30%. Very tight-fisted. But 50% of churchgoers, sorry, 50% of the population of America give 2% of their income. So out of all this wealth, we say we're a rich nation, we barely give anything to change the lives of people. And we say as Christians, talk about the Christians now, that we care. Are we really making a difference? We're supposed to be the change agents in life. But Paul is recognizing the same problem in the church. He's saying there's a lack in their faith. That's what he's talking about. There's a gap here. And it's demonstrated in their lifestyle. It's demonstrated in their priorities. When it's so easy to skip church and go out to the beach one day. I mean, I grew up, I don't know, still to this day, we follow that. But when I grew up, my parents, you had no choice. You went to church. You know, and now because of that, I go to church every single week. I won't miss a service. If I'm not pastor, and we, we, we have, before we were pastors, we never missed a service. Why? Because I am part of the body of Christ. I am the church. I don't go to church. I need to be in the house of God. Here's a people today, they claim to love God, identify as Christians, but they eagerly embrace sin. And they're not bad as, secular, as the way secular people define it, good and bad. But it's nothing at all like the kind of faith that Jesus expects of us to love God above everything else in life. We're so focused on this life that we haven't considered the fact that your life could be required of you today or tomorrow, or next week, and still we persist in trying to get, 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 and keep, 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 and the Lord's saying, give, give, give. Persecution as a way of revealing the truth. In China, they're closing churches, jailing pastors, and even rewriting scripture. China's Communist Party's intensifying, reading from an article, intensifying religious persecution, as Christianity's popularity grows, in the face of persecution, they're growing. A new state translation of the Bible will establish, quote-unquote, a correct understanding of the text. In late October, the pastor of one of China's best-known underground churches asked this of his congregation. Had they successfully spread the gospel throughout their city? He said this, If tomorrow morning, the early rain covenant church suddenly, our church suddenly disappeared from the city of Chengdu. It, if each of us vanished into thin air, would the city be any different? Would anyone miss us? Said Wang Yi, leaning over his pulpit and pausing to let the question weigh in on his audience. I don't know, he said. Almost three months later, Wang's hypothetical scenario is being put to the test. The church in southwest China has been shuttered, and Wang and his wife, Jiang Rong, remain in detention after police arrested more than 100 early rain church members in December. Many of those who haven't been detained are in hiding. Others have been sent away from Chengdu and barred from returning. Some, including Wang's mother and his young son, are under close surveillance, and Wang and his wife are being charged for, quote-unquote, inciting subversion, a crime that carries a penalty of up to 15 years in prison. 
I put it to you that we are coming into a day where the church is going to be persecuted. So I'm coming to you very soberly. There's no jokes at the moment. I'm saying to you that you need to weigh very carefully your salvation. You need to weigh very carefully your walk with Jesus and the reality of eternity that you could step into and that a time is coming. I'm not saying it, it, it might come. I'm saying a time is coming. It will come when you will face persecution. We have seen friends walk away from faith in just small things. How will we ever survive true persecution when it comes? Oh, I had a bad day. I lost my job. God doesn't love me. I'm going to leave. No. No. There's a gap that has to be filled. And Paul, according to Scripture in this passage here, he's dealing, he's just fussing over this. He's so concerned about this church. He's seeing them starting to wane. The giving is lowering. That's the first sign. But he's watching them as it's starting to renounce their faith because they're struggling under the weight of persecution. And the Bible says, and according to the concordance, it's saying he is praying relentlessly for this church. He is praying. He is fasting. He is calling out for God to rescue this church. And that still was not enough. And so he sent Timothy back with him. He, he planted the church with Timothy. So he said, Timothy, go back. And he had three, three, three pronged mission. Number one, to strengthen that church. The second uh, mission was to encourage them in their faith. And the third one, to keep them from being shaken by their troubles. And still, this wasn't enough. So Paul went into deeper, intense prayer, praying, praying, praying. Nothing is shifting and changing. Why? Despite all the prayer, despite the encouragement of a pastor, Tim Timothy had a pastor heart. He, he encouraged, he loved people. You know, just want to hug them. Good man. He's a pastor, Dave Smith. Just love people, love people. But the problem was deeper than this. It was because they, had, they were missing gaps in their understanding of foundations of Christianity. They were missing big gaps. They did not know how to bounce back and how to be resilient when trouble came. They did not understand the importance of living a life that is set apart for the Lord. And these things were not taught. Paul thought he taught them, but he realized, oh my goodness, I'm missing chunks of information. I, I, I thought I taught them, but I didn't. And now because of persecution, I'm seeing all these things popping up. They weren't prepared. They weren't minding the gap. This phrase, mind the gap, is found in all train stations. I, I looked this up. It was very interesting. It started with the London subway system. They built these tracks that were slightly curved, right, to go from here to there. And when they came to the platform, it was slightly curved, but the trains, of course, are straight. And so in sections uh, between the platform and the train, there could be a six-inch gap, and people, could fall, people were falling through. <laughs> that was the problem. So they had to do a series of announcements telling them, mind the gap. Next time you catch a train, you'll, find, you'll hear it. Mind the gap. Passengers, please, mind the gap. We're getting a verbal warning. Mind the gap. They'll put a poster up there. Mind the gap. But we don't get that. I'm telling you today, mind the gap. Because there is a gap. It is a spatial gap between you 
and where your faith should be, and you're getting caught out in these sections, sections in between. Imagine a builder constructing a high-set house, but he accidentally left a hole in the middle of that upper level. He just left it there. And by some stroke of luck, you keep missing that hole. So you're completely oblivious that there's a hole there. You're just walking completely unaware. But at some point in time, it will catch up with you, and you're going to fall through the gap. And if it doesn't kill you, it will severely maim you. And there's a gap in our faith that we're not aware of. Turn to the person next to you and say, mind the gap. Like this early church, many Christians are not aware of it. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Difficulties and hardship often reveal the gap. If you're going through an intense time of persecution, an intense time of hardship, thank the Lord for it because it's going to reveal the gaps. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist... The man who was anointed as the forerunner to Jesus to be able to call out, Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, who takes away the sin of the world. He knew, he knew, he knew in his spirit and in his soul, in his gut, he knew. He pointed out, Behold the Lamb of God. He's the guy. And yet under persecution in prison, after being tortured, after being hurt, after being discarded, after being forgotten, his ministry ended. He sends a message through his disciples to bring it to Jesus. Are you really the one? Persecution will reveal the gaps in your faith. The fact that Paul has to state that there is a gap is to identify that there are certain expectations for every follower of Jesus to reach a fullness of faith. I want to tell you right now that your faith is not complete. See, some of you walking around, yep, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got it going on. And you're making decisions in your life, right? Whether to go to church, not to go to church. You're making decisions about your marriage, about your family. You're making decisions about your business, about your, about your job. Completely oblivious to the fact that there is a gap. Mind the gap. I've been reading the story, the the whole series of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia Chronicles, we came across a voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in the story, they venture into a, they're exploring, it's an adventure. They explore into this darkness. Like it's completely light on one side, and it's like a line. The moment you cross the line, it is pitch black. A blackness you can feel is how it describes it. And they're going through there because they're trying to find lost lords, of this nation that when they were sent out as emissaries and they're trying to find them, eventually they find a guy who's screaming out to them. And they rescue this guy. And he's saying to them, flee the darkness, flee the darkness, flee the darkness. And they're thinking, why? Because to them, you see, they're, they're not afraid. We just came from, the, we came from the light. We are fresh. We are strong. And he's saying, no, no, flee the darkness. This is the place where all your dreams come true, he said. Well, that's not something to be scared of. Until it dawned on them, every dream, every nightmare will come true in this place. And now they're starting to get worried, and they began to find and claw their way, to fight their way out of the darkness. The crew of the dawn treader were unaware of the gap. 
they were confident in their ignorance. And cavalier, which means they don't, devil may care, approach to the very real danger until they came across a victim who warned them of the darkness. And yet we create our own gaps all the time. Peter did it. He stepped out of a boat. He says, Jesus, bid me to walk on the water like you. Yep, come and join me. He steps out of the boat and keeping in mind that there was still wind and waves. High enough to cause sailors to be worried. So I'm thinking, I don't know, 10-foot waves, maybe higher, 10, 12 feet waves. They're really high. How did Jesus walk on the water, by the way? Have you thought about that? Did you, are you imagining he was walking on still water? You are, aren't you? No, there were still waves, 10, 12-foot waves. I think he was surfing when he was walking. Take a step like that. Think about it. So while Peter is watching and looking at Jesus, he's walking on water. He'd be like a baby. <laughs> look at my foot. This is amazing. <laughs> look, look at guys. Look at this. This is amazing. But then a wave came up and he lost sight of Jesus. It was a gap. The moment the gap appeared, the Bible says, he began to sink. King Saul was a man anointed by the living God. And when his anointing came upon him, he became a champion of Israel. The Bible says valiant men were drawn to him by the anointing. They wanted to follow him. But then he stopped listening to God. He did partial obedience. He didn't follow everything God said. And he created a gap between him and his Lord simply because of partial obedience. You see, God requires of us either 100% obedience or none at all. A partial obedience is no obedience at all. Some of you are walking your Christian life. You're saying, look, I like some of these you know, laws and commandments God gives us. I'm happy to follow them. But there's a few here I don't really like. I don't want to follow them. He is either Lord of all or not at all. Can I give you three quick things as we follow, as we close this morning? I'll get Katie to come up here. Three key things I want you to learn from this. Number one, gaps can endanger your footing. Like a Russian roulette, you've been walking on the upper level and you've missed the hole. You've been totally oblivious. So you're thinking with more confidence, there is no hole. I don't even know there's a hole until you hit the hole. At some point, you're going to lose your footing. How is your foundations? Mind the gap. Number two, gaps are the weak areas in your life in which the enemy can exploit. When your theology allows you to hold grudges, to hold on to unforgiveness, there is a gap in your relationship with the Lord. And the gap allows the enemy to come in and cause all kinds of trouble in your life. It will rob you of your peace. For others, that gap may be sexual immorality. You may think, I'm keeping myself pure. I'm waiting until I'm married. But your thought life and that porn allows the enemy a huge backdoor. You can go on and on with this. Here's the third and final thing I want you to pick up. Gaps affect how we move to the next level. You can't get to the next level if you can't even reach the stairs. <laughs> It's going to take you right down to the ground if you don't mind the gap. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com 
or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.